welcome back to Dad Conversations, where we spotlight successful, interesting, and normal people who happen to be dads. Today I spoke to Jeremy Aston. Jeremy's the head of America's software and services sales at Cisco. Cisco's in the middle of a years-long transformation from a product-centric company to a solution-centric subscription revenue company. And by far the key area of growth is a portfolio full of software and services, which Jeremy is responsible for. So Jeremy's an executive in a critical role at one of the largest companies in America. He also happens to be a cool guy and a proud dad. We spoke about his career, his life story, and his approach to parenting. Now, if you enjoy this episode, please go ahead and subscribe to the show and give it a rating in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. The next episode will be an attorney who recently launched a fascinating startup that connects parents and kids separated by distance. Then we'll hear from someone who became an entrepreneur when his back was against the wall after the birth of his extremely premature daughter who weighed 11 ounces. Then we'll hear from a few more entrepreneurs, doctors, executives, and normal people. I'll talk with each of them about their different areas of expertise, their life stories and philosophies, and of course, their approach to being dads. All right, time to hear from Jeremy. Enjoy. Jeremy, thanks for being here. Absolutely. My pleasure, Sean. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. How's your day going? Good. You know, it's, uh, we're coming to the end of what we call silly season, which, you know, after our quarters, we do um, quarterly business reviews. And so you roll those up. And so uh, got, getting through those, now we get to the business of, uh, you know, meeting with the customers, the partners, getting some business done. And then, you know, hopefully here with the holidays on the horizon, uh, get some time off. Yeah, no doubt. You know, it's funny. Um, it's not often that I get to hear from a podcast guest twice in the same day, but uh, just a couple hours ago, I was on a quarterly all hands and uh, that you were running and your team. And so it was cool to, to hear, get to know you a little better and, and uh, hear about the team's performance and some of the um, priorities moving forward. But uh, it seems like you crushed it last quarter. So congratulations. Everything's kind of up and to the right across the board. So well done. Well, I, it's really you know, a tribute to the teams. I mean, the America's software and services groups as a whole just did a phenomenal job. You know, nearly every theater either made plan or had growth, which, you know, is a huge, um, you know, just a huge kickstarter to the year. I think, you know, being in sales, when we have good Q1s, usually our year is set up to be um, uh, pretty perform pretty well. And, and, you know, obviously we're hoping that that's the case again this year, but uh, great, great job by the teams. Yeah. So you are a VP of sales. Um, I'm as an individual contributor in sales, like I'm, I'm curious to know what you do on a typical day and wondering if you could sort of walk us through maybe a recent day, like yesterday or the day before, just, just a random day, kind of like what's included in there, you know, Uh, it's easy to, cherry pick when I tell someone what I do on a daily basis. Um, but I think walking through like a, a normal day would be really um, helpful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is a wide ranging uh, set of activities. Um, you know, like I said, this week in particular, there was a lot of prep work and then like I would call readout work to 
Uh, first was ELT, uh, our executive leadership team. So, you know, Chuck and our entire, um, you know, leadership team, America's had its QBR. And so I sat in on that and was offering perspective of, on the services and the software piece. Uh, you, you mentioned the all hands that uh, we had. So there was a lot of prep work for that to make sure that we were recognizing the right people, get the messaging correct. Um, there's the day-to-day, you know, meetings of just, you know, run the business, the forecast updates, the pipeline reviews. And then, you know, I think the thing that I liked the most in which was a call I was on just before this was uh, I was on with a partner. So, you know, partner and customer interactions are still, I think the most exciting stuff for me because you get to really hear, or I get to really hear what's, you know, important to them, how their customers are reacting, what's the best way to serve. And then when we're talking to our customers, you know, how do we really help them uh, meet their needs is always, you know, number one. I, you know, early in my career, when I was getting into sales, I had a sales manager tell me, he's like, hey, Jeremy, when in doubt, go talk to a customer. And I've never forgotten that because they, they never steer yeah. us wrong and they always, you know, they always drive you know, our right behavior. So, um, so I think that's my favorite part of it. And, you know, although at, at what I do now, I don't get to talk to them as much as I would like, but I still value those interactions the most with our customers and our partners. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when I get just kind of feeling bogged down or slowed, it's like, you know what, I probably haven't talked to a customer in a day or two. Like I, that, that, that really invigorates you and you put, it helps you to prioritize things. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you have uh, quite a bit going on. You have a team of hundreds of talented salespeople. You're responsible for billions of dollars in revenue. What is the most important job or initiative that you have when you look at your role? You know, when I when I think about my role, um, I really look at my primary function is to remove roadblocks for the team. So that when it gets to the absolute core bear interaction, Sean, for instance, for you with your customer, that we're making it easier for you to deal with your customers and serve them and their needs. To your point about getting bogged down, I need to make the processes easier for the teams. I need to make it more scalable. I need to make it go faster. And I really need to be that evangelist and crusader for you guys to kind of get all the rocks out of the way to do it, right? Because a lot of the things we're dealing with, especially on the software and services side, is is a lot of new motions for Cisco, especially around um, how we go to market and things like that. And so there's there are just a lot of impediments that we run into based on trying to change a business model. And so me getting those out of the way for you guys to go serve your customers, I always think is is is, is kind of my number one um you know, remit followed closely by number two is kind of the people side of it is like, how do I make sure that our people are being put in a position to succeed from their development? Are we recruiting the right folks? Right. And, and are we um, developing our teams in the best way possible so that we have, you know, the, the best, the best folks, um, you know, uh, serving uh, the company and the customers. Nice. I'm curious as you've progressed from, uh, you know, account manager to a manager to director to VP, like what are, what are some of the tasks or uh, responsibilities that you now delegate that you would have probably done yourself like five or 10 years ago? <laughs> probably. Well, 
I, I don't travel as much now, obviously, with with our current situation, but travel, um, meeting scheduling, kind of all those logistics, which are very hard when you're trying to your work. You know, Cisco is a very matrixed organization. And so how do you um, manage through all of that? You know, now I'm lucky enough to have, you know, people help me, you know, with that scheduling. And then also, you know, critical messaging and communications and things like I, I you get those types of resources now because there's just people who are better at it and can put process around it and drive that. Right. But, you know, I can come up with a message, but I need some help to, you know, package it and drive it. And, you know, and so things like that, scheduling travel, those are things that, you know, five, 10 years ago I did on my own. Now I have, you know, uh, skilled folks to help me do that. Sure. That's cool. What are, um, so yeah, you've been at Cisco for 20 years. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on like, in what way is Cisco most different than 20 years ago? And then when you're done with that, we'll get to what, in what way is it most the same from 20 years ago? I think um, from a difference is the, the speed, like obviously we're a technology company, so the technology changes, but I think it's the speed of those market shifts are incredibly fast now, right? Um, market moves used to be, you know, um, two to three years, maybe a little bit longer on more mature technologies. But now, you know, we see, we see technology and market shifts happen in, in months, right? They are very quick. And with, with all the reliance on, you know, as a service and cloud delivered and those types of technologies, you know, the, where you place your bets becomes very important and how fast the market can move based on certain things that happen is very um, substantial. And, you know, and, and you're seeing the real live effects of that from like a pandemic and like what really becomes important to people now and how do they use technology. And so I think the speed at which things change now is probably the biggest difference I've seen, you know, from when I started as an account manager to, you know, where I am now. Um, on the other question about what's most the same, I, I still think the core values of the company um, around its people, around the idea of giving back and service um, <clears throat> is still really embedded there. And I think for me, that's why I've stayed as long as I have. I just really do enjoy the people and um, <clears throat> all that they have to offer here. It, it's, it's, there's just an amazing set of human beings, you know, that, that, uh, that work at Cisco. And so, um, that hasn't changed. It's always been a very, for me, at least a very high quality interactions with the, uh, the other folks that I get to work with. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. It's like the, uh, the average person you run into at Cisco is not only really sharp, but very personable, willing to go out of their way to help you, even if they're, you know, they stand nothing to gain from it. And, um, yeah. And then, like you said, with the, the causes and everything, it's like, it's for sure a, a for-profit company, but at the same time, it, the company and the people all do care and make a difference to try and improve the world. You know, there's a lot of good causes that, that are not just checking the box. It's like, we put way too much money into a lot of these things and time and effort to just be checking the box. It's like, you could tell everyone really is trying to make the world a better place, which I think is cool. Yeah, I, I I do think people are 
there is a good sense of gratitude with the people who work here, I think, and appreciation for that, 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 that we do have it well. And that, that in fact, not that we should, but we owe, like we, we owe to give back to our communities and to be of service. And I think that really resonated. I, I never feel like people feel like they have to, they, they feel like they get to, right. And I think that's always mm-hmm. a big thing that it keeps me, you know, attracted to the company and what it stands for. Sure. So what is the best part about being an executive? Um, I really enjoy, you know, at the level I am at now is just the wide purview I get of different groups trying to do different things, solving for, you know, different challenges. And I think at an at, at the role I get to play now is um, I think one of my strengths is I get to connect those dots, right? There is a lot of good work going on across Cisco in a lot of different areas. Um, sometimes those those things aren't as connected as they are, and we're operating a little bit in vacuums. And where where I get to sit, I get to kind of get some of our you know heads up out of the out of the tree so we can see the entire forest, right. To, to use a, you know, a metaphor, but, but the ability to connect those dots and have that, you know, more global view of things and understanding, you know, what we're trying to accomplish, not necessarily in one geography, but at, at a market level or at a technology level, I think that's an exciting part of, you know, the, the role I get to play today. Nice. Now tell me the truth. What is the worst part about being an executive? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe the flip side of that is, you know, when you have these geotype responsibilities, you know, you, you know, sometimes you got to be on calls at five in the morning. Sometimes you're on calls at 11 at night because you need to be able to accommodate Asia or, you know, some other part of the world. You know, when, they, when they're trying to schedule a geo call across someone like myself that lives in California, someone that lives in Singapore, someone in India, you know, it gets hard to like uh, logistically put that together. So, you know, you're sacrificing some different types of um, maybe time slots in your day at times to make sure that you can, you know, meet that and, and have the discussions you need to with the various people, you know, around, around the globe. Um, but, you know, I, I would say that that's, that's minor, but it's, uh, you know, it, it, it can be, um, it can be an issue sometimes, but for the most part, it's uh, not that bad. Good. And last question on your career before we shift gears and, and um, go into your origin story, but do you have a favorite memory or story from your career as you look back on, you know, your whole career up till now, anything that, that stands out that you want to share as a favorite memory or experience? I mean, I can't go back to my career and say like, Oh, this is, um, this was the thing, you know, there's been so many different, um, events or milestones that have, you know, or people that I've been, that I've gotten to encounter with over my career that it's, um, it's been, you know, it's, I've, I've had a blessed, um, professional career. And I think the most memorable moments, right. And I think maybe I'll just put it, couch it like that are when people I've worked with either now or previous, uh, you know, roles I've had, where either I worked with them, 
they worked for me, I worked for them, whatever. But they come back and they say things like, oh, Jeremy, you know, I really enjoyed that time. We really did some great stuff together, right? It, it, it wasn't about the, like, no one's coming back and saying, oh, we killed it that year against our quota. Like, that's not what they say. But they come back and they say, like, hey, the things we did to, to change X or the, the way we impacted, you know, this thing was so great. And that was like, that was some of the funnest time I ever had in my career. You know, when, when I get that type of, you know, feedback or comments from people when I see them after I haven't seen them for a while or that I don't work with as closely anymore, or maybe have moved on, you know, into other things. Those are always my bring back just a lot of, you know, warm, uh, personal just fulfillment of like, yeah, that was a really great time. And it's only when you have the rear view mirror of perspective to look back that you fully appreciate that. So it's those types of moments when I just encounter, because I, my fundamental belief is like, you know, when I move on or, you know, I, you know, hopefully a long time from now, you know, pass on, like, no one's going to remember like, Oh, Jeremy, you were, you hit your quota so many times and you, you grew that number. Like, Nobody's going to care about that. What what they're going to remember me for is, hey, we really liked working with him. Hey, he, he he really empowered me or he made me feel like I could do this. It's it's those relationship types of things and the effect we had on people. And those are the things that I take as my as my favorite memories, of, you know, from my career. That's a good, good point. So I'm curious to hear your origin story so i'd love to hear like you know where did you grow up what type of kid was jeremy what were some of your interests all that stuff yeah i um i am a california kid so to speak i grew up uh i jokingly say on the mean streets of uh, newport beach california which is a uh, coastal community um down in southern california um and i grew up like a lot of beach kids do you know I grew up surfing on the beach in the summers and you know despite my fair complexion of you know uh red hair and freckles I still just really enjoyed being in the ocean and you know all things of you know be, being outside with that you know and so grew up there and um you know had an interesting childhood uh you, you know my my mom was a, basically a teenage mom and a teenage father as well, or he was 20 and my mom was 17. So very young parents, you know, and so growing up in that environment, you know, had its, you know, certain challenges of it and of, you know, people that were fairly young themselves trying to now raise a child, you know, so things like that. Um, and then from there, I went away to school when, um, to University of Utah. And so that was the first time I ever lived anywhere else outside of, of Newport Beach and attended school there. And then once I graduated um, from college, I had agreed as part of a, a family business. And at the time my mother had remarried, <clears throat> came back and worked for my stepfather uh, back in Southern California. And, um, you know, he was a, um, a good father figure for me and, and uh, gave me my first job out of school. And that was kind of where I got introduced to sales. He had a a construction company and I was responsible for kind of sales and marketing to um, like real estate companies that owned like strip malls and other types of commercial properties. And that was his specialty as like rehabbing those types of properties. So I was basically selling and marketing to those types of groups. And I, I really didn't know about sales process or anything like that, but I had a pretty good personality. I could, 
you know, write pretty well because I was a, a English major from um, uh, school. And so I could like get my thoughts down on paper and, you know, send things out to people. And so from there, you know, I kind of started to um, uh, pursue, uh, pursue that, but then that company kind of ran into some um, issues and uh, he had to uh, close that company down. And at that time I had um, agreed to get married to my college girlfriend and um, I needed a job, you know? And so with that, I started to look at some different things and uh, that kind of led me into a, a technology path, but, but I've always been really interested in, um, you know, things that challenge me so I could learn, uh, new stuff. So even when I was young, you know, although I played a lot of sports, you know, I surfed, I played soccer, baseball, those types of things. I always was interested in trying to, you know, learn and and challenge myself to, uh, to think differently. So, so those were some of the areas that, I enjoyed growing up. And the reason I went to Utah is um, my stepfather, he had some uh, family there. And then growing up, we had uh, a piece of land out there. So I'd go up there in the summer, I get to ride horses. And, you know, I just really liked uh, that part of the country. And so it was a natural fit to go, go there. And it was a great experience. If you've never spent much time near like, you know, Salt Lake, Park City, it's, you know, beautiful areas of, of, of um, <clears throat> the Intermountain West. And it's been great. Um, so, so I came back and like I said, I was in this construction world that was kind of falling apart around me and I had, uh, gotten, um, agreed to with my, uh, fiance then to get married, but I needed a job and someone put me in contact with a recruiter that, uh, put me into my first corporate sales job, which was, um, selling copiers and office products and um, it was a competitor of xerox it was a company called Lanier. they're now owned by rico uh, they were based out of atlanta and i started you know what i jokingly say you know schlepping copiers and i literally would cold call like we don't really do that anymore in this digital age and the way we you know market through um, you know, social media and the way we right. um, go after new, new, new logos. But back in the day, so to speak, I was literally had a set of business cards and was going around and knocking on doors in my zip code patch of um, <clears throat> South Orange County, which was like Irvine and Laguna Hills and some areas down, if you're familiar with that area, kind of South of LA. And I would uh, take my business card, ask people questions about their consumption of paper and, did they ever find it difficult <laughs> if they had to uh, copy two sides of a document and they didn't have a, a way to do that, you know, and that was the thing. And, and it, I mean, it was, it was the greatest training I ever had for, um, you know, just the absolute preciseness of the sales process. And it still holds today, right? I, they, they, the copier industry at the time did a very good job of saying like, Look, this idea of a sales funnel, it's exactly that. It is a numbers game, right? And you will close a third of your business, a third will push you off, and a third will buy from your competitor. And you can bank on that. You know, and, and I have seen over the years that, that that is fairly accurate, right? There is a lot when you look at funnel metrics and and all of this that 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 that, that a lot of times that still, you know, holds true. You know, now over time we've gotten more sophisticated with AI and things like that. But a lot of the early things 
that I learned about the sales process and that you had to walk a customer, you know, through from attention to interest to desire to close, you know, those things still um, hold true today, right? Now we get more sophisticated with, you know, salesforce.com and stages of sales and all that, but the, the base process of how you get a customer, you know, from evaluating something to ultimately buying it from you, it holds true in a lot of places. And so I worked there and, and I quickly, um, you know, kind of got success there. I started out as a sales rep about, I don't know, 18 months later, I got promoted to be a sales manager. It was the first time I'd ever led people. And then after only about nine months, they promoted me to what was a district manager, which was a second line uh, manager. And I remember at a very young age, you know, I was in my like mid twenties at the time, I had a full PL. Like I was running this business and it had sales, it had service, it had the operating margins. I had the administration team. I had this whole group, you know, and there's about 40 people in this, in this uh, district office there in, um, in, um, in Santa Ana in uh, Orange County. And I was responsible for all that. And uh, it was like a crash course in like how to run a business. Like I had never dealt with a PNL. I was an English major. I, I didn't have a business or econ background. You know, I didn't know, you know, so it was just a lot of this learning on the fly. And then as I was doing that, it was, it was progressing into the um, late nineties and this whole first big tech wave around dot-com and the internet was really starting. It was kind of the phase one of a huge internet build-out going on. And I had a lot of friends kind of leaving this industry and moving into tech. And uh, I followed that path. Eventually, um, I went to EMC for um, a short stint, kind of right around Y2K, when there was this big appending event. We were going from 1999 to 2000. And, and um, a lot of people maybe don't remember this, but there was a lot of concerns around could our systems really handle that change and what would happen when, when the clock struck midnight and what would happen, right? Would the banking system stay online? Like there was a lot of concern about this. And so what happened though, there's huge build out. And then meanwhile, all these, you know, internet-based companies and dot-coms are spinning up. So there was this huge tech infrastructure build out. Cisco was a huge beneficiary of this at the time. And so were other companies like EMC and, and others as, as we built this out. So I, I jumped into tech over there on the storage side, um, but wasn't super happy. Like I'm a big culture guy, Sean, if you can, can't tell that already. And so like who I work with and the people's values and what's important to them has always been really important to me. And, and at least the team I was on, not, not to just say the company, but the, the team I was on, the manager I was working for, I just didn't feel that. And after a few months, an opportunity came up at Cisco, and this is like August of 2000 now, and um, <clears throat> somebody came to me and said, hey, there's a, there's a spot open here. Would you, you know, like to do it? You know, and um, I wasn't familiar with the Cisco interview process at that point, which, you know, in a lot of cases hasn't changed that much, you know, where you go through like five, six interviews, you know, to get, get into a role. But I got in as an account manager, and, and that really was the start of my um, – technology path here at the company and uh gone from there um so that's a little bit about about uh about me where i've come from on the technology in the meantime like i said i did get married because i had a job uh i've had two you know wonderful daughters that are um 17 and 19 one's a junior in high school one's a freshman in college um 
both actually have are um, studying abroad. One's both around the East Coast for a different reason. One's at a at a boarding school for dancing, and another's at at, at college in Washington D.C. Um, and then, as you know, a lot of my hobbies still today are around um, being outdoors. So you know, a big big surfer traveled the world on different adventures there. And then, um, I like to do a lot of, you know, hiking and running. I live at the base of the Santa Cruz mountains here in, in Northern California. So getting to go around there. So that's, that's a little bit about me and some of my interests, what I've done a little bit about my career. Any, any other, um, yeah. areas to dig into, man, there's so many, so many cool things. I wish we, you know, we could talk all day on, but, uh, just recently you mentioned, um, surfing, and you've had a chance to do that all over. Where's your the favorite spot that you've been able to surf, and what made it so nice? Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I've I've surfed, you know, Hawaii, Mexico, Costa Rica, Indonesia. You know, um, I've surfed actually in the Middle East, uh, the Maldives. I mean, all these have these unique um, aspects to them, and then the culture of the country that you're in. I mean, I've even surfed in China. Um, it it's I think for me, as far as like, if, you know, if I go back to my pure surfing roots, um, probably Indonesia was the best experience as far as like the types of waves that I really enjoy surfing. Um, and just the beauty of that area in the Indian ocean and the reefs and just, you know, the water and the warmth and the sea life, it's just a pretty amazing experience, but that whole tropical area, you know, that another close second is the Maldives, um, out there off uh, uh india and sri lanka that area has been <clears throat> i've been out there a couple of times that's that's amazing as well so uh, anything tropical will get my attention but those two areas in particular have been you know amazing experiences and are you like bringing your surfboard like carry on or, or what are you are you getting you renting one when you get there no 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 like i i, I bring yeah there are a lot of places if you go to some of these uh, surf destinations where you can rent, but I, I do uh, schlep my own gear and bring it with me and, um, <laughs> and you know, all the stuff that needed to do that. So yeah, I, I bring it with me and pay the fees and, you know, throw it in and hope it makes it safely <laughs> across on its passage across. Yeah. That's when you know you're serious when you're bringing your board with you. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm curious too. I want to um, before we get too far away. I always like to ask about father figures. Um, so you have a dad and a stepdad. I'm in the same boat there. I, I always find the stepdad dynamic interesting because, um, as someone who was a, a stepson that then became an adult, I look back on it. And it's like you know, it kind of doesn't matter what what my stepdad would have done. I would have viewed it as like that was the wrong thing, you know, from my eyes. But yeah. um, what what's something that you feel like your um, stepdad did really well? Yeah, I think for me, I think I mentioned, you know, my my um, my mom was very young when she had me, and so was my dad, for that matter. Neither neither one were really at the time uh, emotionally equipped. I think to like to raise a child, you know, especially now looking at you know me raising my own kids, and and for a lot of my early part of my life, like ages, you know, from when I was born through like, you know, five, five plus years old, um, I was raised a lot by my grandmothers. Um, so I have, I've always had a real close affinity 
to my grandmothers, both that, you know, have, have passed on now, but <clears throat> especially on my mom's side, uh, but on my dad's side too, both of those grandmothers were, I was very close to, but then, you know, as I got into that kindergarten, my mom did meet, um, another man and they ended up getting married and they had, uh, kids of their own. Um, but for him, I think what was the most powerful for me is he never treated me like I was a, a was a stepson. You know, I know they call them blended families mm-hmm. now, and you know, um, but I always felt that blendedness. I guess like when people would ask him, um, "How many kids do you have?" It was never "I have two and a stepson." It was always "I have three, You know, and that always mm-hmm. stuck with me. He he was always just super inclusive of me. And, you know, to this day, my actually my my uh, biological father passed away when I was um, about 29. And so he never got to meet my kids. And so my kids have only ever known him as their grandfather. Right. You know, and Uh and now through as they've gotten older, they kind of piece the story together and they know he's my stepdad, but they don't think of him like as a step grandfather. They think of his grandfather, like his grandpa. Right. That's what they call him. Right. You know, and so. So that inclusiveness that he, you know, always treated me with, you know, now I see that my daughters do that with him as their granddad, you know, so it's, it, that's been an amazing thing for me. And like I said, I never felt um, less than, or, you know, and because you already, as you know, Sean, you already have this kind of awkward feeling of, at least for me, when other kids started coming to the mix and there was a big age gap and like, how do I deal with that? And I have a different last name and all this, he always kind of made that not as big a deal, even though I was, you know, always kind of thinking about that as a kid, you know, you just, you you just do. Um, and so for me though, he, he, he was just a, you know, just an amazing figure like that. That's awesome, man. What a blessing. Good for you. Yeah, I Um, I am blessed because I know, I know everybody's experience is, is not like that. And so I do consider myself uh, very lucky to have had him in my life. Cool. Um, all right, before we get out of, uh, tech sales, I want to ask you what's, what's one thing that you wish the average person knew about technology sales? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I would think that, that the, the, the technology is really not the thing that's being sold. Right. And I think sometimes we get way too caught up in the features or the functionality or this widget does that. It really is about what is the technology really enabling? I know we use the term outcomes or solutions and it's an overused term, but at its root, that really is like, what does the technology actually allow us to do? Right. And, you know, in a lot of cases, it's some really good stuff, you know, but as we see, sometimes it can also be used, you know, maybe some not so good ways as well. But, but I think people need to understand more that, that technology is a very powerful thing because of the types of uh, outcomes or processes or that it enables. And I think that's what people really should be able to <clears throat> grasp or grok when they, you know, when they talk about, you know, technology sales or what, 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 what they're doing, that, that would be my, my suggestion. Cool. I like that. So a uh, general question that I stole from Tim Ferriss, um, what is the book or books that you've given away most as a gift and, and why did you give them away? And if you're not a, a big uh, book gift giver, that's cool. Uh, what would be 
you know, one or two books that have greatly influenced your life? Uh, well, I think um, as far as a book that I, I have given away a lot over my lifetime is typically when, when I became a manager of managers, especially, um, and people would get new roles. The first 90 has always been a big book about that. It's just about the transition into a new role. And um, I don't know if you heard of it, Sean, but it's kind of like the the premise of it is kind of, hey, what got you here is not going to get you there type of thing. <clears throat> and so okay. it, it talks about like transition traps of like, you know, hey, you were a superstar salesperson, but now you're leading people. That requires like a, a new set of muscles we got to develop, right? And and then it really focuses on like the principles of how to get there and that, you know, it's not about, you know, managing down and, and you know, driving your team super hard. It's about holding them accountable, but then managing out like across to your peers and then, you know, leading up, right? It's like this whole concept of this kind of 360 and it just, I think it gives people a really good perspective of what to expect as they transition into a new role. So I think it's a good, um, it's a good way for that. Um, of late, a book that I've um, really enjoyed, um, I'm a huge Malcolm Gladwell fan. You know, I've read a lot of his stuff. Uh, his podcast, Revisionist History, I think is amazing if you've not listened to that. Yeah. Um, no, that's but a good one. He, he recently maybe it's about a year ago now or a year and a half he came out with uh it's called talking to strangers and um i think especially with what we're going through and our our sometimes or in a lot of cases our lack of ability to communicate and people coming from such different places trying to talk and communicate and how much is getting lost uh is a very powerful narrative on like what just society and you know, we are dealing with. And, um, and I would highly recommend the audio book because it gives a lot of the interviews he does in the voice of the people who were, who were doing the, um, interviews. And then, you know, obviously he's, he's reading the book. Um, but that, that has been probably one I've recommended a lot to several people, um, over the last, uh, you know, several months. Yeah, I don't think there's anything that Malcolm Gladwell's done that I haven't been that I haven't really enjoyed. Um, yeah, did you catch his episode about Brian Williams, his podcast episode about memory and yeah, recalling I mean, that, events later? I mean, that's why his podcast is so amazing, right? Because it reframes these events in a totally different light, right? And because that that blew me away, right? That, that Brian Williams is very celebrated journalist and you know newscaster and kind of trust the nation got vilified for a very you know very common thing that happens to people's memory over time you know and and the way he framed it is it was amazing right and he he blows yeah. me away with the way he does that right he's, he's done on several of those um episodes that you know you just you just kind of jaw hits the floor for verbally as you're listening you know <laughs> so yeah yeah at, I mean, that one, ha my wife and I have talked about that together several times because it's like people who they did a study of people um, right after 9-11 who had written down their account of where they were when they heard uh, the news and and many other things. And then a year later, they'd have them um, revalidate their story and kind of say, where were you? What were you doing? What do you remember thinking about? And they'd write it down. And then 10 years later, they would do the same thing again 
And they'd be like, yeah, I was sitting at home, you know, in my apartment. And they're like, oh, well, nine years ago, you said you were at the coffee shop. And they're Correct. like, oh, I yeah. must have been remembering that wrong. I was definitely at home. I know for sure. And it's just like, you, you know, we think of memory as a movie that you could just like go access the original file and, and a memory in a human brain is nothing like that. Yeah, it, exactly. You know, and, and so and the way he couches it and then the fact the way he brings in, you know, data and facts and science to back it up is just, it, it, it's really, uh, it's impressive, which is why, like I said, I really like his, his podcast. And then obviously his, uh, his book, because he does, he does a lot of really good research, which I always think is, you know, very uh, important of it. And then, you know, the last one, I like, I don't know how much John Krakauer you read, but um, he's a big nature writer. He wrote the book into thin air, which was about, this climb up to Everest and it went really yeah. bad. Um, but he's written some amazing books over the years that I've recommended to a lot of people as well. Kind of anything that Krakauer writes. Um, I, I like a lot as well. It's funny you mentioned that because my next guest is um, somebody I'm talking to tomorrow who climbed Everest. <laughs> so could you tell me about a failure or maybe a significant obstacle that was in your path that wound up setting you up for later success? Well, I've had, I've had a lot of failures in my life. You know, I mean, I think that's the thing that I've learned is that I think I earned, I learned obviously, at least in my experience, a lot more when things don't work out than when they do. Right. I mean, I, I am a big, be careful what you wish for type of person because a lot of times it's not, maybe as great as you thought it was. And then when it actually happens, you're like, wow, this really didn't work out the way I had hoped, you know, but yet you have these blessing in disguise events where you're like, Oh man, that kind of sucked. And then it's, and then you, you know, I kind of unpack it and I realize, no, I really, I really learned, you know, um, a lot of that, you know? So I, I think, I don't know if it's a significant obstacle per se, but I will say one thing is that you, we talked about, you know, father figures and just kind of maybe to carry that theme. So I ended up becoming, you know, more estranged from my um, biological father than maybe uh, I had hoped for. Uh, and there were a lot of reasons uh, for that. Um, but at the end, he and I did not have the uh, greatest of relationships. Uh, and then, like I said, he he passed away. Um, but he passed away in kind of a, a tragic way. He got <clears throat> very sick, um, lost consciousness, you know, and basically uh, um, became brain dead for a few weeks and was on life support and ventilation. And, you know, there were just a lot of tough questions being asked of, of the family at the time. And I had two sisters because he had been remarried, but they were much younger than me. And one was only 19 and one was only 17 at the time. And I had, um, not completely, but for all intents and purposes, lost contact, you know, maybe saw him on the holidays, things like that. And it was through that kind of painful experience with the family that I reconnected with those two girls who are now, you know, a huge part of my life, you know, they're aunts to my, um, daughters and they're these amazing, uh, women with their own families and things. And, and, but it was going through this process of, 
you know, watching, you know, our father kind of pass away literally before our eyes uh, in, in, a, in a very tragic way, but kind of pulled us together, got us kind of past any of the, you know, stuff that was going on and, you know, and then being able to have this, you know, amazing relationship as we came, became adults, you know, or, or I was already an adult, but as they became adults in their own lives, um, you know, and what I learned there was like, you know, you know, there, there, there can be a lot of silver linings in, in truly tragic situations. And this, this one was for sure. And then how do you move past that? You know, and then, and then, like I said earlier about, you know, how are you, how are we remembered is really about our relationships, right? Like it, it, the dash on our, on our headstone is about all those great accomplishments. It is very underscored by that. And, and it's like, that's what I want to be remembered for is my relationships with my sisters, my relationships with my daughters, right? Those are the types of things that I look forward to. And I think that, um, that situation, you know, or obstacle at the time really taught me a lot about that. It's like, Hey, don't ever underestimate the, the time or the, the uh, position of your relationship with a person that means something to you, uh, you know, in my life, if, if I don't, if I'm not comfortable with it, it's on me to try to go fix it if I can. And if that person is open to go doing that, let's go try to do it. You know, if for some reason they're not, then I need to accept that and move on. But for me that it was getting past that obstacle of like, Hey, I needed to clean some stuff up so I could have this relationship with these amazing two people. And now they're, you know, huge parts of my life. So that's a, a big story that resonates with me for a long time. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe I could pay for the two sides of it. Um, <laughs> I, I think right now it would be a lot about like, Hey, we really need to accept the world for, as it is now, not how Jeremy or how I want it to be. Um, you know, we are in this just incredibly, I think, transformational time. And that, and that could be a, a negative transformation if it's not handled correctly, right, with some of the social issues we have going on, the health issues that we have going on. There's just a lot of things out there that I think are fundamentally um, weighing down people and, and how they, you know, view the world and how they're interacting. And, and I have to really get into a place of, of gratitude and acceptance, right? Like, Hey, it is what it is right here at this moment. That doesn't mean it's going to be like this forever, but right here, right now, it is what it is. And then I need to be grateful for the things I have in my life, you know, that I, that I can uh, really uh, center on, right. You know, my family, my relationships, you know, the people that um, I care about. And so this, this idea of acceptance would be a big one, you know, and then, uh, and, and, and I think just more of the world needs to kind of embrace that because, I feel a lot of times we're in such a kind of a finger pointing mode, like, Oh, if this person would do this differently, or if that group did that, we wouldn't have these issues. It's, it's not that right. I mean, when I point my finger, Sean, I've got three coming back at me. So it's like, what, what are, what's my part in it? And how do I get to the acceptance? Now acceptance doesn't mean condone, right? Like I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to condone bad behavior. I'm not going to condone hatred or things like that. But I, I also have to be, 
you know, pragmatic about, you know, where we are at a certain spot in time. So I, I think a lot of it would be accepting the world as it is, not, not necessarily how I want it to be. Good point. What important truth do very few people agree with you on? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. And I'm going to maybe take that in a little bit different direction. I struggle, this is just me personally, with the concept of, you know, my truth or your truth. Like, I think that creates division among people. I, in my mind, there's only the truth that is, that is backed up by um, facts or realities that exist, not things that I, I want to be the way they are. <clears throat> and so what, what I believe for me and is that like the concept of happiness is really not a destination. It's an outcome of the choices I make every single day in my life. Like if my whole goal in life, Sean, is to be happy, I think I am setting myself up for extreme disappointment <laughs> and a lot of, you know, um, disgruntlement, I guess, if that's a word uh, about this, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that, to, that, that you, we could get really down on, right? And so, but if I do the next indicated thing and I do the next right thing and, you know, they talk about, hey, how, how does someone get self-esteem? Well, they go do esteemable acts. That's how I try to live my life is to be of service, try to help others, you know, give back where I can, you know, be a good father, you know, be a good husband, good friend. When I do those, the outcome is this outcome of satisfaction and happiness. <clears throat> and so for me, that's how I try to live my life. Now, I don't know if that's a truth or how you, how you want to quantify that, but, but, but it's, but when I think of, you know, things being true or not, I think about things, how do I quantify them? What are the facts that support that? Right. And I know that if I'm chasing things that I think are going to make me happy, like I need a bigger house, I need a nicer car, I need a different job. Like those are all external things. And when I think external things are going to make me feel better, I'm on a bad path. Right. And I know that my contentment, those things are going to come from within based on the actions I'm taking and how I'm treating and interacting with other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Um, it's a good question. Uh, from a belief perspective, I think because a lot of the roles I've had in my career over the last five, six years have been more on the kind of transformation, incubation, kind of new stuff. Um, so you're constantly testing and trying out things to see if they work or not. I, I have rallied around a lot about this, like this kind of fail fast concept, like, hey, we're going to try a lot of stuff here and some of it's not going to work and we need to test it, see how it goes, you know? And so, and I think where 
maybe before, you know, in my younger days, I would be a little more stubborn about things and not want to, um, <laughs> you know, give up. But I think it's more like, hey, hold these beliefs strong, you know, I mean, hold these beliefs, but um, but loosely. Right. And, and then you're you're not going to be so stuck on things and you're willing to move and adjust and adapt. And if something's not working, just realize it and go because you're maybe just on the other side of something that could be great. Right. I talked about earlier about me moving obstacles. One of the things I see a lot of times is people are just banging their head against the wall and all they have to do is step like two steps to the left. And there's a doorway right there to walk through <laughs> to the next opportunity, you know? And so that's, that's kind of where my mind is. Right. I, I really do try to uh, embrace that definition of insanity, right? Like if I keep doing the same things over and over again, expecting different results, like, you know, I'm just setting myself up for a lot of, um, you know, suffering. And so, so I think, that's something I've learned, um, you know, and, and kind of, you know, taken to heart more and, you know, on a habit side or maybe a behavior, like I, I am trying to do more things like for, um, what I would call like my mental and emotional state. Like I try to do a little more, uh, yoga and meditation, you know, yoga, cause it's just good for my body. Cause I do run and I do things that are hard on my physical body, but just the, the whole mental and emotional and just kind of meditative state pieces, I think have been very impactful, um, to me and helping me, you know, just, uh, you know, deal and move on with, with day-to-day stuff. And so those are some things I've picked up in the last few years as well that I, um, you know, I really enjoy and, and try to make part, you know, if not daily, you know, uh, a few times a week for sure. Yeah. It seems like a lot of people get quite a bit of value out of meditation um, what's, what's your approach to it? It's something I've kind of struggled to adopt. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends. I mean, now, like I, I just highly recommend if, if, um, they have these apps that everywhere from, you know, calm, even like if you have a Peloton, like they even have meditation and, and you can do it for as little as a couple of minutes, all the way up to, you know, <laughs> guru status for like, you know, an hour or two, you know, but, but it really is. And they have all types of different type of meditation. There can be a sleep meditation, a kindness meditation, a gratitude meditation, just whatever state someone's feeling, these, these, these things can really help. And if, you know, you can take literally two minutes or five minutes and just focus on breathing and have this. And, and, it, and I, I always recommend just start in bite-sized chunks and then extend it out. If someone had told me like five years ago, you need to come in and meditate for a half hour every day. Like there's just been no way. I just, my, my, you know, the hamster in my head would just been running around. Like it's just, <laughs> I can't, yeah. can't get there, you know, but if someone said, Hey, for two minutes, can you focus on your breathing? And do you want to listen to someone kind of walk you through? Yeah, I can do that. And then, Hey, can you do this for five minutes? Y- yes. You know, and, and it's just, it's like, it is like building a muscle, right? If you're lifting or, you know, doing something or getting in shape, it's, it is the same thing for our mind. And that's, and I I would um, recommend that. And the reason I like the yoga is it has the physical aspect, like yoga can be like an incredibly hard workout under some circumstances, but it really is focusing on breathing on movement. And a lot of that stuff carries out, you know, into, you know, meditative, uh, practices. So for me, it's been a good, it's a good, good pairing. That's cool. Yeah. I think I heard some, 
sort of meditation guru purist who is like, if you need to use an app, you're doing it wrong or something. And so I've been like, Oh, but I think for me, I need to, that's like the starting point for, I need some help, yeah. you know, to get, get, uh, get going. Well, yeah. For some guy who's lived in the mountains for 30 years. Yeah, it probably is. But like for <laughs> you know, average people <laughs> yeah. like you and I, like we need a little help. Right. And that's, that's, that's what this, these do. And then, yeah, I mean, I can get into points now where I don't need that. Maybe I'm running, maybe I'm stretching, maybe I'm sitting, you know, by the ocean and I can just get calm and I have more capabilities. Now, can I do it for a half hour? Oh, absolutely not. You know, but I don't get down on myself for not being able, you know, necessarily to do it, you know? Um, yeah. In my opinion, like an attempt at meditation is meditation. Right. It, it, and so as long as I'm trying, that's what it is. It's about the effort, right? I mean, I think, you know, that this maybe leads to another topic, but, you know, for me, I think, and I know this is different from, a, from what a lot of people think, but I truly believe like as a sales leader, I'm actually not in the results business. And I know that sounds really weird to say that, right? Because I have a quota, I'm expected to show growth, like I'm expected to perform against all these things, right? I actually believe I'm in the action business. I'm in the outcomes business. I'm in the business of doing the right things for my customers. And if I do those things enough times the right way, then the results come. Because what I've learned in my, you know, 25 plus years in sales is that I can't make any customer buy anything, right? But I can show up enough times to, to make them know that I care about what happens to them and their company. I'm here to support them and I'm here to do the right things to give them what they need, that they will see value in that and the products and services and, and that I'm representing and they will, they will um, end up procuring from me. And that's much different than saying, Hey, Sean, I'm going to sell you something today. You know, what do you need? Right? Like that's not, that's not right. for me. Right. And so that's how I tried, have tried to reframe it, which is the way I think about things. And that's, you know, and that's been an involvement over time for sure. Yeah. So like kind of modeling the right, processes and then the outcomes take care of themselves exactly sense. right exactly if i do you know okay. i mean if you're a golf person and you watch you know the masters was just this past weekend you know the the person who won it dustin johnson i mean the guy went like 20 under right but how many golf shots did he practice thousands and thousands of times to get there it's the same thing with what we're trying to do we're trying to show up over and over and over again and do the right thing for our customers. And with that lens on it, we will get the results, right? It's, it's when I flip and I put my needs first, I'm always let down. When I put my customers needs first, I'm always rewarded. Right. So that, that's, mm -hmm. that's where, where I come out on that. Cool. Well, let's, let's shift gears again and this time into the topic of family. So you've already mentioned you have a wife and, and two daughters um, what is something that you wish new dads or future dads understood? Yeah, I, I think that, um, I'm just going to speak for myself. It, it, it is, I am not here to be my kids friends. 
um, of course I want them to like me and I want, you know, and I want to have that relationship, but, but that is not my primary role. <clears throat> my primary role is to love them unconditionally, parent them, and ultimately, uh, protect them as best I can until they need to go, you know, experience life on their own. But I see a lot of parents that want to be their kids' friends or they don't want their kids mad at them. And, and I've, and I've told my daughters this because we got to do a lot of (laughs) conflict about, you know, access to technology and having phones and access to internet and all this. And I said, you know, look, my job is to love you no matter what. And to protect you as I see fit in order, you know, that you can have an amazing life, right? It's not to give you everything you want, right? That's not, you know, and, and so, and I think the more we do that, the, the, I'm hoping I'm not creating a sense of entitlement with my kids because that's what I don't want. I want them to be grateful for what they have. And I think they are, they've been given in a, incredible amount of opportunities that that others haven't for a lot of reasons and then through their own gifts that they've been given you know through hard work through you know (laughs) their own genetics and just things that they have just innately you know then they put the work in to get it so that's that's one big area that i would think that for for new parents is that don't you know i i don't necessarily recommend it like you know, trying to be their best friend. I, I don't think that that at least had, was not going to work for, for my wife and I, and we selected a much different path. Yeah. On that topic, um, what is your approach to instilling accountability, instilling mental toughness or ownership? How do you instill those principles in your kids? And, and a lot of that, I mean, you said your kids are like, uh, I can't remember, 17, 19, 20, something like that. A lot of that work, yeah, you know, the cake is most of the way baked at this point. So yeah. <laughs> maybe, you know, backward looking, but um, how, how did you go about that? You know, as hard as it was at times, uh, we had to let them fail, right? And, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, that would mean like, hey, they forgot their homework or they didn't do it and they wanted us to run it over to the school. We didn't, right. There were, you know, there were things that maybe happened that were, you know, you you hear the town helicopter in, we didn't do it. Like we, we had to let them experience some of these things, you know, and, and um, the mean girl syndrome that happens is real. I mean, I've seen it happen with my daughters with, you know, some of the interactions that went on with their group and I saw some things happen to them and I wanted to jump in and I fix it. And I wanted to go have a conversation with their parent, you know, I mean, and I, but I, I, to my, like I resisted, you know, and I, and they just had to go through that and that, and as, as painful as it is to watch when your kids are struggling, sometimes I know at the end, it, it makes them stronger, more resilient people. And where I really saw it come up is, you know, I have a, I had a senior in high school last spring, right? Right when the pandemic was raging and, you know, she got, she lost out on, you know, her prom, her graduation, her senior trip, like all these kinds of rites of passage 
Mm-hmm. And then now fast forward that into her first year of college, similar thing. She, she has not been able to take advantage of a lot of the things you would get in your first year of college experience. But to her credit, she's made the most of it. You know, she said, you know, I want to move out to Washington, D.C. and I want to go experience. You know, there's a lot of history going on. Right. She just went through an election and she was out there during all of that. And as scary as that seemed to me with all the craziness that can sometimes go along with with what our country's going through right now. She wanted to be a, a part of that, you know, and 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 that was because she had her own resiliency and grit. You know, that when when she had been knocked down, she's going to make the best of it and she gets up, you know, and and just instilling in her and, and seeing that, like, you know, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up. Right. <clears throat> and and just allowing them to have that process, I think, has made them, you know, much stronger women uh, as they get, you know, into that to that age. You know, my 19 year old and my 17 year old, that matter yeah to your point their their moral compass their values a lot of that stuff's pretty baked right i mean it's that that happened and and you know my wife and i had a huge hand in that up until you know they get into their teenage years and then their peers take over a lot of that you know and i've always been very impressed with the level of of friends they picked and then distancing themselves from you know people that seemed maybe toxic or were having issues and 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 so but but it was they had to go through their own little heartbreaking issues to get there but in the end they they realize that you know life isn't going to always be perfect uh things are unfair um but on the whole thing of things i think they both realize how good they have it and they're grateful for the opportunities they've been given and they're trying to make the most of it Hmm. what advice would you give to someone whose kids are becoming teenagers as they start to look out over the next few years, what, what uh, parental skills will they need to adapt or develop? Patience, <laughs> tolerance. I mean, I, it, it is, I mean, that is such a hard age. Um, you know, boy or girl doesn't, doesn't really matter. I mean, you just take into account the, the chemical changes that these kids are going through as they're going through that, right. Their hormones are changing. There's just a lot of stuff going on. And now the onslaught of technology and social media that's influencing them every single day. I mean, and, and if I'm honest, we did a better job of this with our first daughter. And then because the younger one saw her, we didn't do quite as good a job. And, and I noticed a difference, like the, the reliance on the social media is, is actually more on my younger daughter because she got it at a little bit younger age than my older. We were, we were pretty resolute, but I would hold off on the technology as long as someone can um, to their kids. I mean... We were seeing kids get smartphones and smart devices in like fifth grade and using it and the social apps. And it was shocking some of the stuff we were seeing. And we we did not let our oldest daughter have um, any type of access to that really until she graduated eighth grade and was going into high school. And, you know, she uses her phone and she's on all the things, but we actually let our daughter, our younger daughter have it after seventh grade. And it was, that's one year. Okay. It doesn't seem like that much, but the difference of 
that of my older to my younger is 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 pretty amazing to me how my younger is much more dependent and like with their phone being gone you know and so you know so we really had to instill the like the technology downtimes and not going to bed with all of that and not having all this access to technology all the time and and it's only getting harder and harder to enforce for parents as we get older because they get more access to more applications so i think the more resolute they can stay to keeping that stuff out of their hands for as long as possible in my opinion the better yeah that's such a good point you know it's funny um my my wife was talking to another mom there's like a group of moms chatting and and my wife mentioned like yeah we're we're not planning to have our kids like have their own device until they're like you know mid mid teenagers or (laughs) just you know a year or two before they get out of the house and and someone else is like oh that'll never work like they'll they have to have it they're gonna and and my wife's like put her hands up and they're like what are you talking like <laughs> they'll survive you know <laughs> we can get no, out i mean it, it's hard though right because there's there's that piece of it and then this you know there's a, definitely a safety aspect to wanting them to have that you know and you know i mean and so there's just a lot of things to be considered um but the screen time and all of that is very real you know and and where um it's um it's going, you know, so I, I, I just think the, the more that that can be, um, controlled or gated with, with, with young teenagers or, you know, preteens, the better. Yeah. Good. Also, you've been married for several years. Do you have any general advice for those who may be struggling in their marriage? Yeah, I, I, I have been very, uh, very blessed with, um, a great partner, um, you know, in a next, next year, it'll be 25 years. So it's been a, you know, quite a ride. We were <clears throat> fairly young when we got, got married. Um, but for me, it's been a lot about the underlying, you know, friendship, that we have to kind of carry us through, right? We still laugh a lot together. We like to do things together. Like, and so us having common interest and, you know, wanting to hang out, right? And, you know, like I said, like for me, it's like I get to hang out with my wife, not like I have to hang out with my wife, right? And so whatever someone has to do to kind of change that mindset of like, oh, I get to hang out with my with my partner today and that, you know, I get to go on a hike or I get to go to the store with her. I get to help her with the dishes. You know, that's the thing that's going to carry through the tough times that everybody goes through, you know, in their marriage, in their life and their relationships. But when, when I have this, you know, rock solid partner, who's, you know, been an amazing mother, you know, great friend to me, amazing daughter, you know, sister, all these things, you know, then, it, it just makes me a better person. And so I think, you know, that underlying friendship, the ability to laugh at ourselves, you know, and not take ourselves too seriously, um, you know, has been, has been a blessing and just, you know, really assessing like, Hey, is this thing we're arguing or squabbling about really going to mean anything in six months, a year, mm-hmm. like, right. Like how important is this thing really? Like those would be some of the things that I, I, um, would recommend anyone who's maybe maybe struggling and then you know if you are struggling i always recommend you know get 
get some outside help, get someone to talk with, you know, where, where you, where we can have <clears throat> open conversations with people to get a, to get a third party view. That's not, you know, not someone of your, your friends, or your family, but, you know, a professional that can really help you right, unpack, right, right. you know, those potential issues. Yeah. You don't want to get the in-laws involved in uh, marriage counseling. <laughs> you need to go get yeah. a third that does not party. Go well. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, when you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious or mad or just generally having a bad day, how do you get out of it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I, I do try to kind of stay to that concept of like, Hey, right here, right now, stay in the present one day at a time, kind of a lot of those trite sayings, but I think it's important because I do believe that, you know, this too shall pass, you know, even good or bad, right? Like right here, right now, as I'm talking to you, you know, everything is good. Right. Right. I've, I've eaten today. I had a good night's rest. Um, I got to put clean clothes on today. There was water. Like there's a lot of blessings that I have that, you know, 99 or 95% of the world doesn't get access to in a lot of cases. And I've been able to get that and, and, and I have to always remember that, <clears throat> that I have it really good and I'm very blessed. And for me, it is always this idea of, of gratitude. So I, I really do try to stay in, a, in that frame. Uh, but then if it is an absolute you know, train wreck and I'm like just emotionally off the rails, right, then I need to go to the beach. I need to go for a walk. I need to go for a run. I need to just get out of my element, you know, of looking at a screen or being, you know, and just, you know, breathe in some air, look around, you know, and just, you know, take a deep breath and just know that, like I said, like this too shall pass. And, and, um, and that's a lot of what I do to just try to go with it. Cause you know, we, we live in stressful times. Um, it, it everything's not going to go our way. Um, but that's okay. Cause it, when I look back at my life, it never has either. Right. And so, um, but my life has been more up and to the right, you know, it, overall. And so, um, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm, I'm, you know, hopefully we'll keep uh, getting what I'm getting. So that's what I try to think about when I'm having a bad day. Good. I like how you answered that given some prehab as well as the, uh, the rehabbing activities with, First, it starts with having a good mindset and gratitude, you know, even the little things like I had clean clothes, I have water today, you know, it's yeah. so easy to forget how, how fortunate we are. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we really are, you know, when you think about other countries and, you know, even other people in our own country and, you know, that it, it's, it's, it's truly a blessing um, that some of the, the gifts that, uh, that I, my family and I have been given. Yeah. All right. So in this uh, all hands we did a few hours ago today, you put someone, you put John, I think, on the spot uh, with some lightning questions. And I thought it'd be fun to uh, turn the tables a little bit and, and have you answer some. So um, what was your first car? I had a 78 Chevy Blazer. Yeah, it was a great car i loved it it was um and i even crashed it on the first day of my license how good is that you know no. <laughs> but it was not too bad just a little fender bender okay wasn't like a serious crash that's good no all right 
favorite food? I'm a big um, Mexican fan. I love, you know, burritos, tacos, enchiladas. I mean, I, I, I could eat Mexican probably at least twice a day, not, not have an issue with that. You're in the right place for it in Southern yes, California. I, I, I am. <laughs> um, if you had the opportunity to go to outer space or the bottom of the ocean, which would you pick? I would, the ocean, I mean, I'm just more drawn to, um, you know, it takes too long to get to like certain spots in space, you know, so, but the ocean is such a microcosm of our world between, you know, the reefs and all the sea life and, you know, where did the waves come from? I'm just very drawn to the ocean because just I've been around it for so long. So it's always the ocean for me. And who do you most look up to? You know, I, I think it, it it really depends. I have a lot of great, you know, um, mentors in my life. Um, there's just, there's a few people that have just been super impactful for me and at different times, you know, of my life. I mean, I think one of the people I most look up to is my wife. You know, she's an amazing um, partner. I've, I've never really seen someone who's like, uh, like I, I can have snap judgments sometimes, you know, <laughs> just, just the way I'm wired, you know, and, and she's not like that, you know, and she doesn't, she doesn't have hidden agendas and she doesn't, you know, um, do things. I've never seen her do anything um, out of spite or anger, you know, she's just a very loving person. So I really look up for her, just the way she looks at life and the way, you know, she, I, I, I just, I'm really lucky to be, uh, be paired with her. That is good, man. Life is good. <laughs> when you're, when someone feels like that about their wife, you got a good, you got a good thing going, yeah, man. Absolutely. Good man. Um, as you look towards the future, what is something that you feel optimistic about? Well, maybe because I, I have, you know, young, you know, women coming up. Uh, I, I am very bullish on the young people, especially the young ladies that are, you know, taking stronger stands, you know, fighting for equality, pushing the bounds of like where we need to go as not only a society, but as a race. I mean, if, if we're only optimizing half the population and thinking all the good ideas are coming from, you know, one gender, we're really in a bad spot, you know? Um, so I see the way that, you know, some of the young people are trying to address these issues, you know, um, that in some cases, in my opinion, are like, you know, existential threats to us um, and our world that they are going to come up with the good ideas of how to solve you know, for them and, and the way they think and the way they try to figure stuff out. So I am, I am bullish on the, on the young, so to speak, uh, as, as I see this, like, you know, next generation of young people, uh, coming up. Cool. Before we let go, do you have any shows or podcasts that you want to recommend other people to check out? Well, I think we talked about it earlier. I mean, I, I would highly recommend if, if you're a history buff or you just, you know, especially recent history and even, the, you know, as you know, they go back sometimes. But just the way that the revisionist history 
reframes historical events and then sometimes just very arbitrary and abstract events that you don't sometimes don't even remember and then are sometimes like yes like the brian williams example like it, it it's truly amazing and i think it's it's very good you know mental gymnastics as you think through or as i think through you know where i was at that time or what what i would have done you know i, I would highly recommend the revisionist history podcast cool what is a good cause you wish more people knew about uh i mean the causes that i'm passionate about are you know a i i'm a around education around um climate change and around you know being able to help people so you know i try to support causes that try to get more people educated i also support things like surf rider but there's a ton of you know um uh environmental type of places that people can support but surf rider specifically is around coastlines and coast preservation and you know a lot of things there and then um you know i also support things like uh american red cross just because of the need people are in right now especially with um you know at least out here you know wildfires have been a huge issue and you know the need for blood during the pandemic you know so i've you know been drawn to those types of um causes you know i i was talking this with someone else you know but i do think like charity and giving is a very personal thing and you know people should go where their hearts and their passions are but those are you know a few for me that um that 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 i try to make a a priority uh for me and my family yeah yeah no doubt and it's interesting with um the different causes right because there's um some causes in my mind where i'm like oh this one's so important it's you know saving children or whatever it is but then there's others like um, you know, helping disabled people to surf, for example, that one wasn't important to me until my dad broke his neck surfing and then, um, is able to go out on like a modified surfboard with someone who could then help him ride a wave. And he, that, um, brief moment helps him, you know, feel the joy of being out there again, that, you know, it's kind of depressing to not have. So, um, that's in, in, uh, another way, kind of a life-saving uh, good cause. So, yeah, um, I mean, that's, like, that's why anyway. I, I think it's so personal, Sean, right? Cause it, it, each, each event is very personal to the person and there are so many good, good causes, but I've always heard like it, you know, rather than trying to give, you know, a dollar to a hundred charities, you know, pick the ones that are most passionate to myself and, and, you know, really go hard. So I, I try to do that as best I can, but to your point, you like, you see, Oh Yeah these people are suffering and those people are like, what do I do? You know I mean? And it, 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 it's, it's hard, but I, you know, I never, I think that's one area. Like if we circle all the way back around to like Cisco, like why I really do still enjoy Cisco as much as I do is that, that wanting to be of service, to give back, to help, you know, whether it's sleeping out for the homeless, whether it's building homes for habitat for humanity, whether it's a hunger drive. I mean, just the level of, um giving that people do is is amazing and and we're going to need more of that right because as the the disparities grow in our society and they do continue to grow it's it's people that are blessed that have to give that back i I do believe it's like a moral obligation that are if we are if we continue to be on you know selfish and self-centered it's going to continue to get bad results for our um 
for just our society. And so that's why I'm, you know, very passionate about, we've got to, you know, give where we can. And, you know, yeah. that, that's, that's how I try to live my life. Man, thank you for sharing that. And, and thank you further for coming on. Uh, you're a good man. You're a good leader, good, good dad. And uh, I've enjoyed hearing the wisdom you had to share. Well, thank you, Sean. I appreciate the opportunity to come onto your platform. Good luck with your, um, with your project as you continue to push it forward. Yeah, man, no problem. For anybody who wants to reach out and, you know, wants to reconnect or would love to learn more about you, where can people find you? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't have a hugely active, um, social media presence. I mean, like technically I'm on Facebook, Sean, but I have not checked it in probably four years because of just that they just, they've gone away from that. You're probably healthier because of it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I, but I, I am on Twitter at JF Aston. Um, you can find me on Instagram as well, but like I said, I don't, I don't post a ton. I'm obviously on LinkedIn as well for professional purposes. So those are, you know, Instagram, um, uh, uh, Twitter or, you know, probably Twitter or LinkedIn are probably the two best ways. Um, Instagram is more, you know, seeing family post pictures, stuff like that. But Twitter or LinkedIn is probably the best way. Cool. Well, thanks, man. I've enjoyed chatting with you and hope you have a great evening. Yeah, thanks, Sean. I know we're getting close to the uh, to the holiday. So happy Thanksgiving to you and your uh, family and uh, be well, be safe. And, and thanks again. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, please consider telling someone about the podcast. You could talk to someone or send a text message. You could even fold them a sweet origami swan that has dad conversations written inside it. Or you could share an episode on social media, maybe even write a review of the podcast on your podcasting app. If you think the podcast sucks, that's totally cool. And I want to know why. Please send me any constructive criticism, such as a new question you'd like me to ask or a request to stop saying um. Also, feel free to send unconstructive hate mail or whatever's on your mind. You can find me at Sean Radvansky on LinkedIn or DM Dad Conversations on Twitter. Whatever you do, I hope you have a great day.